Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, agency owner? If you're new here, I've got a free ebook on how to scale your business to multiple six and even seven figures by overcoming your dependency on referrals, doubling your profit per project, and removing yourself as the main bottleneck in your business. All you have to do is DM me the word gift on Facebook at Brent Weaver. That's facebook.com slash Brent Weaver, and I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in business and life. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver. And today we are hanging out with Charlene Lee. For the past two decades, she has been helping people see the future. She's an expert on digital transformation, leadership, customer experience, and the future of work. She's the author of six books, including the New York Times bestseller, Open Leadership, and co-author of the critically acclaimed book, Groundswell. Her latest book is the bestseller, The Disruption Mindset. She is the founder and senior fellow at Altimeter, a disruptive analyst firm acquired in 2015 by Profit. She's been named one of the most creative people in business by Fast Company, and she's a graduate of Harvard College and Harvard Business School. Charlene, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So... Saying you can see the future and being a disruption expert is uh, is a tall ask. What does it mean to you to uh, to disrupt something? I feel like it's one of those words that we hear about a lot as entrepreneurs, almost maybe a tad too much, but uh, this is your field. This is like where you hang out in. So what is disruption in, from your perspective? Uh, well, disruption is when you're moving from the status quo, the world that you know, into one that is very, very different. And the reason why it is so hard is because we feel disrupted. All the things that held us in place, the relationships, the structures, the organizations, they go poof, they're gone. So things that helped us identify where our place is in the world is gone. And until we have those reestablished, we're going to be disrupted. We're going to feel not great. And our human nature is to say, let's get out of this disrupted space as quickly as possible and go back to some sense of normal. And we have all been feeling this over the past 18 months where our world was turned completely upside down. And we've all been able to figure out a new life, a new way of, of being. Uh, so we all have experienced firsthand what disruption looks like and feels like. So it's, um, it's, a, it's a fascinating space because I see some organizations intentionally moving into disruption, disrupting themselves, knowing it's going to be not a great journey but they see that it's worth it on the other side. I feel like if if one were to have a profession that was right time, right place, being somebody who is an expert in disruption, and then, you know, worldwide pandemic, everybody without choice got disrupted. And I think what's been interesting to, to watch is, I think some of those companies that you maybe uh, speak about that have created cultures of disruption maybe before COVID, right? They probably fared a lot better because they were like, hey, we, we always need to kind of be disrupting the status quo within our business. How, how can a company that's maybe not comfortable with that idea start to think about that? I mean, I'm thinking about digital agencies who maybe they lost a lot of their clients because of COVID. Maybe they still haven't 
been open to disrupting, right? They're still holding on to kind of old ideas. How can people start to think about disruption for their own business? Right. I, I lay out in my book, The Disruption Mindset. It came out right before the pandemic hit in the fall of 2019. So just good timing in some ways. Good timing. Bad timing with the <laughs> pandemic coming. And one of the things I'd say is about knowing who your future customers. So if you think about strategy, leadership, and culture, these are the three pillars of a disruption strategy. And the strategy itself is focused on the future customers. And as an agency, who are your future customers? Not your customers of today, but where is the market moving towards? Where are the needs coming from? So with the pandemic threw everything up in the air. Like for me, I do a lot of my work through speaking engagements. They all went away. So I'm mm. sitting going, well, gee, okay, I have no speaking engagements for the rest of the year. How am I going to bring in revenue? And I realized everything was going to be virtual for a while. So started live streaming, started doing virtual talks to demonstrate that I can still deliver and have all these ideas that can help people. But in the end, I just want the needs haven't gone away. They just have shifted. So as an agency, when you see your existing world going away, or even if you have a beautiful business right here today with all these profitable customers, you have to be thinking about what does the future look like? Where are things going to change towards? And what are the needs of those future clients that you want to serve? And then making a bet. This is the hardest part. It's not just saying, well, I don't know if it's going to be 100% like this or that. And until I have a better sense, I'm just not going to make a decision. Disruptors are comfortable with uncertainty, comfortable making decisions and bets. And for the most part, they are pretty good at making these bets. But every once in a while, the bets don't pay off and they're okay with that. So one of the things I think of is how do you deal with failure? What's your relationship with failure and mistakes and things not being perfect? If you don't have very high tolerance for that, it's going to be very hard to be disruptive. I, I find that um, there's like a common thread along entrepreneurs of, of whether it's quitting school or not doing well in school, like maybe that relationship of like having to cope with a lot of failure early on, or you hear these entrepreneurial stories where people just had like a really hard life and things didn't really go very well. And I feel like sometimes they excel in entrepreneurship or maybe in disruption because they had to deal with it so much. It's an interesting thing to bring attention to around what your relationship is with failure. Because I, when I'm working with entrepreneurs, I mean, one of the the biggest forms of resistance that I see is this unwillingness to experience failure. Like if, I mean, even down to delegating a task, what if I delegate this to somebody else and they don't do it, you know, kind of thing. Well, it's like, well, I mean, eventually you'll figure it out and delegating is going to be a really big upside for you. How, how can somebody think about or frame failure in a way that makes them more comfortable with disruption? Right. And, and I think about that delegation as a key part of, of being a, a stronger leader with greater spans of influence. When you are thinking about this as success, right? And you're going along and you don't meet it. You fall short of your goal and objective. How do you look at that spot? Do you look at it as a failure, as not you know, being less than? Or do you look like, oh, look, we didn't get our objective. And you look at it as a data point. You look at it as a step that you're taking towards success. When you have this different mindset about it, then you can look at it objectively, removing all that judgment about failure and about um, imposing that guilt upon yourself. And you can look at it and say like, huh, we're here. Here's the gap. We need to close that gap. Mm. And that allows you to take action then versus if you're thinking it's a failure, 
We're done. It didn't work. Let's go back home now. Let's go back retreat. Didn't work. Versus saying, well, maybe if we did things a little bit differently, it could still work. Or even just saying, you know, we went on this track. We did the best that we can. It was the wrong decision. Now that we're here, we know so much more. Let's go back now and take that as a learning and do things differently the next time. And in fact, I'm going to spread this widely across the organization, maybe across my industry with my peers to share, we tried this. It didn't work. This is why. And we learned from it. In creating that sense of responsibility and accountability, not from a judgment and criticism and negative point of view, but it's saying, wow, what a great opportunity for us to figure this out along the way. Now, you have to be more right than wrong in order for all of this to happen, but it does remove the need to be perfect. And instead of being perfect, you can focus all of your energy on being excellent instead. Hey, what's up, agency owners? Quick question for you. Could your client retention rate be better? Most small businesses are terrible at closing leads, so it's pretty common to churn lead gen clients quickly. But I've been really impressed with a new all-in-one marketing platform that actually closes leads without clients having to get involved. The platform, which is called High Level, is built specifically for agencies, and the best part is you can white-label it so you can present it to your clients as your own software and collect that sticky software revenue in addition to your services charges each month. High Level normally has a 14-day free trial, but as a member of the YouGurus community, you have access to an extended 30-day trial, which you can access at gohighlevel.com forward slash YouGurus. That's gohighlevel.com forward slash U-G-U-R-U-S. All right, let's get back to the program. Talk to me more about the difference between perfect and excellent, because I know a lot of our listeners are... I kind of call them accidentally accidental business owners, right? They started building websites or designing, you know, graphics or doing SEO or paid ads and they create stuff and they have a little bit of that perfectionism that comes along with creating stuff, especially when you're creating stuff for clients and other people to kind of judge. So I hear people say a lot like, oh, I'm such a perfectionist, right? But that, that idea of instead of being perfect, being excellent. What, what does that mean? What's the difference between the two? Well, as an entrepreneur myself, again, in, in the beginning days, again, it was really hard because I couldn't do everything. So I brought in some partners and then also try to create a, a work environment where any of us could challenge each other. We could give each other really good feedback. We got really good at giving feedback because you're never perfect. You can always do things a little better. And knowing when it was time to stop, when what something we did was really good. It was the best that we could do. And incrementally more work was not going to make it much better. And that's when we knew we could take it to the client and say, look, this is what we've done, but love your feedback. And we were open to the feedback because we knew it wasn't perfect. When you think it's perfect and the client comes back and says, no, it wasn't, it's just so hard. It doesn't give you that psychological safety to put yourself out there versus saying, you know, we don't know if this is completely right and it's not perfect. It's not completely finished, but it's an audacious idea. But we wanted to put it in front of you as soon as we could to get your thoughts on this, to get your feedback on it. Now, which one does your client want to show up? Your client wants you the best you can to bring your best forward, to be excellent on their behalf. They are hiring you 
to be the brain that they and the hands and the skills that they don't have. So show up with that. They don't expect you to be perfect. They expect you to be great, to be excellent. And that's very different than being perfect. I love that. And I like I I, I like this idea of separating whether it's the work or the objective or the outcome as a data point and even you know, as, as more about talking about the work than about who we are. I feel like it's really easy to say, hey, this idea, you know, it's it's harder to say, hey, this idea failed than I failed, right? I feel like sometimes it's easy to say, oh, man, I I didn't do well. I didn't put in the hours. I didn't work as hard as I should have, right? And take a lot of eye-oriented blame and shame along with, with doing this. And, and what I'm hearing from you is you need to start separating that from yourself and really talk about it more as as a as a separate outcome. Hey, it's the work, it's the outcome, it's the the thing that happened after we did stuff and we need to talk about that and move forward versus, you know, taking this as like a self critique or whatever. Right. And when your organization has this fear of failure and inability to talk about it, it's because we have such a strong identity between ourselves and our work and we can't separate that. And and the the healthiest thing you can do for the mental well-being of yourself and everybody around you is to create that psychological safety, that space that says we can be human. And human means we're not perfect. I mean, we have been literally in each other's bedrooms, right? Over the past year and a half. There's this level of intimacy now. I mean, if we haven't learned how to be our true selves, to put ourselves forward in that way, it's high time that we know how to do that. And as leaders, we need to do that for our organizations to create that space. For, and, and you do this every day with how you explain to people uh, and you show it directly of yourself to say, I'm not perfect. I have, I have humility because I know I don't have all the answers. I just have a lot of questions. And it's also being comfortable showing some vulnerability. And in doing that, showing that vulnerability, you're actually being very strong because you wouldn't feel comfortable being vulnerable if you weren't comfortable and confident that your leadership could still be there, that the relationship is strong enough between you and your coworkers and your colleagues to be able to weather that vulnerability. And we know from our own personal relationships that vulnerability is a hallmark of a really good, strong, deep relationship. And it would be great if we could have that at work too as well. And yet we're told as leaders, don't, don't show any weakness, right? You gotta be strong all the time. You gotta be right all the time. I'm like, that's a terrible thing to have to expect for ourselves and our leaders. And it, it's an incredible pressure that just realistically is not needed in this day and age. And, uh, it, you know, I, I struggled with this early on in my, my career when I was leading and, and especially being a woman, a person who is ethnically diverse, Asian American, um, and frankly, I'm really short, so I don't look like any sort of leader that anybody would ever <laughs> have. They're the model of a leader. And I walk into the room and have to lead, right? So how do I lead when I'm not the person that anybody expected and lead in a way that's authentic to me? So um, I, I led with relationships and I still do to this day believe that leadership is a relationship between people who aspire to create change and the people who are inspired by them to follow them. And that's all it is. It doesn't need a title. It doesn't need anything. So if you can inspire everybody in your organization to be a leader, to see the change, and then to step into any void 
where it elects a leader and become part of leading that change. Imagine the creativity, the energy that could be released from your organization. If you are comfortable enough, confident enough to step aside and let other people come forward and lead. And I think is is the hallmark of a true disruptive leader because when you are trying to lead huge amounts of change and transformation, you can't do it by yourself. You have to create a movement of other leaders who can come to the front along with you, alongside with you. And you have to lead with them. And in many cases, if it's truly successful, they will be led even if you're not there. It's truly a movement if you don't have to be at the front of it. Mm. I I love that message for our audience because I feel like as as agency owners, there's this relationship between agency and clients and clients are looking to the agency for answers, for implementation, for strategies. And I know agency owners who feel totally overwhelmed because they have 20 clients, they have 50 clients, they have 100 clients that are all looking at them as like, you're the expert, you're the expert, right? I think there's this huge opportunity for the agency owner to let go and say, hey, team, I need you to lead each client, right? There's so many opportunities for leadership within an agency and allowing team members to, to maybe step into those those uh, those leadership positions. I like that idea that it's a relationship of, you know, somebody that's basically, you know, that's that's leading or driving something, and somebody who's kind of looking to the leader uh, for inspiration. Doesn't mean that you're the the CEO necessarily. It could be a a project lead. It could be a designer. It could be a developer. Kind of stepping into that kind of position. Imagine you have your client team, right? And you've got your account manager. You've got your lead person who is a day to day go between between you, uh, between the agency and the team and the client. So they have a great rapport and everything. But what if nobody else in the team ever spoke up, never said anything and just took as written to be true what that account lead has to say? I mean, imagine the amount of pressure that's on that account lead to get it right. And then on top of that, you're not tapping into the tremendous talent and creativity, the foresight, the insights that other team members can have. So a really healthy team says, hey, I'm the account leader. I'm going to put the parameters around what we're trying to accomplish for the client. How we get there? Well, frankly, you guys, your team are the experts on how we get there. So what do you think needs to be done? And this is the team leader not being so much a person who lays out the entire workflow, but steps in as more of a role of a guide and is then tapping into everyone who knows, well, I know how to get that done, or I don't know. I don't know how we're going to work together, but the team organically and together are pulling together that work plan. And it's it can be a little bit slower, but as the team gets better at this, they already know. They, they put together the, the processes, the rituals to kick off, to continue to check in. They will actually work a lot better because it's organically networked into each other rather than have to depend on one person saying, okay, now I'm done with this task. What do I do now? You know, tell me what to do, instruct me, direct me versus being self-directed and self-motivated to understand the job to be done and then taking it to another level because you have this collective hive mind now that can do the job so much better than one person trying to figure it out. The word that kind of came to mind for me there is just this idea of, of, of creating ownership and buy-in within a team structure. And I know that a lot of people struggle with that. I mean, I, I've talked to agency owners that just have this mentality of like, I, you know, if it, if it has to get done, I have to be the one that, that does it, right? I have to do everything. They have so much weight. And, and these are small, you know, 
two, three, 10 person businesses. And I feel like sometimes they carry the weight of the world on them. And, and I think what I'm hearing from you is kind of a breath of fresh air. Like you don't actually have to be, you don't have to make yourself so important into the process. You can invite people into that creation process and it's going to be a lot less work for you, but also pressure. Yeah, I, I, I look at it as a grid of things that you can do and things that only you can do as a leader, mm. right? And you have to distinguish between the things that you can do and do really well and excellently. And you can probably do it. Yeah, people, leaders constantly come to me and say, but I can do it so much better than anybody else and faster. And I'll just do it myself rather than have to have them do it. And I'll just do it myself. And I go, that's great until you have 20 clients and you're doing all of this work self because you don't think anybody else can do it. The reality is they can do it. And even if they're only 80% as good as you, could you train them to be closing that gap? And could you ever actually see a day when they could actually do it better than you? That's actually a possibility. And then what you're left with then is when you can see these people growing into their roles, you are left with only the things that you can do. No one else can step into that role. And the vast majority of the things that you do as the leader, as the owner, should be things that only you can do. Otherwise, give it to somebody else. Even if it's initially less efficient, less quick, um, probably not at the level of excellence that you would expect. But if they can do it and do it in a fairly decent way where they, they have some competency in it, let them do it. Mm. Because you have you have to do the things that no one else can do. Otherwise, no one is going to do them. I, I felt like you were in my head there for a moment, Charlene. <laughs> it's just like, oh no, she's 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 transcribing my thoughts. You know, it's uh, into your head. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but there, there's a, and I love this differentiation between the things you can do and the things only you can do. And, and I've heard that so many times where people say, well, but I can do it faster or it's just easier if I can do it. Yet I'm like, well, didn't we just talk for an hour and a half about how your life is being crushed by all, all these things that only, you know, that, that you have to do, right? Uh, you know, who cares if it takes somebody longer if it's not, you know, you doing it kind of thing. So and yeah, I one think of the this, things that I do with leaders is to say, show me your calendar. And, mm. and I see this path from day to night. I'm like, Where's your time to think? Where's your time to strategize? When's your time to sit back and work the business rather than doing the work of the business? And when you're working the business, you're truly looking at it and like, okay, let me look at my client mix. Let me look at where it's going. How is it evolving? Where do we want to be in the future? Because no one else can do that. No one else can think about the future. I mean, this is this is your business. Who are you going to are you expecting fairy godmother that you have somewhere in the black <laughs> closet to come out and like wait the fairy money? Here's our strategy, right? It's only you can do that. And you can't do that if you're sucked into the day-to-day work of doing everything for everybody. You can't. And so I, I say to people, you should be spending your time, you know, the vast majority of time doing only the things that you can do and then leaving huge swaths of time just to think. I'm talking mm. about setting aside two, three, four hours every day, not once a week, every day to just focus on the things that only you can do. These big ideas and thinking and stepping back and getting centered on what's really going on with your business. 
I, I almost want to challenge our listeners to pull out their calendars right now and kind of scroll through what they have in front of them. I mean, I, I, uh, it might scare people to be thinking about how would I get two to four hours a day for thinking and strategizing and, and working on, on the business. I mean, what is, what does a, a really busy entrepreneur who probably has a million people vying for their time and attention and their clients a lot of times own their calendar, or at least they feel that way. I mean, what do they, how do they start making some baby steps towards getting to two to four hours a day of, of strategy and thinking Let's time? Tell you. Um, meetings are the band of our existence. We have a complete meeting culture because we use them to create alignment. We use them to gather information. We use them to make decisions. And it is incredibly inefficient because you're asking all these number of people to pull away from the work that they're doing, to come into a room and inefficiently listen to somebody, tell them something that they could have read ahead of time and gotten up to speed and just give them feedback on asynchronously without pulling people away. The other thing is, we have our calendars completely open. Anytime you can schedule a meeting, there's no discipline around. These are meeting times. These are work times. So what we did at Altimeter, we designated certain times and days to be free of meetings, no meetings during these times as an organization. And then we also told our clients this, like we will be happy to meet with you, but not during these times because we got to get work done. There's no other time to work. So when you have that discipline to say, we're going to have meetings, we're going to have really good meetings. We're going to have meetings as the last resort or the best resort to accomplish what we can do. Not because it's a default, but really thoughtfully saying, if we're going to have this meeting, what are the decisions that have to be made with the right people in the room? And so I, I would say, go pull out your calendar, look at your meetings over the past week and rate them a one, two, and three. One meaning. That was an amazing meeting. It's got so much done, meaningful, great use of my time. Threes, I have no idea why I was even there. Like it, it didn't go anywhere. Nothing substantive was happening. And why was I even in that room? And twos are somewhere in between. It was okay, not great. Commit yourself to not doing any more three level meetings. I mean, just like, why? Why do you spend any time doing that? Because someone invited you. So we had a rule that said, if you're not contributing actively to the meeting, walk out, exercise the power mm. of two feet and walk out of the room say, no, I don't see how I'm relevant to this. Tell the organizer, tell me if I missed something, but why do you need me in this meeting? I don't have anything to contribute to this and say, I'm not going to go. And that creates accountability for the meeting organizer to say, um, yeah, I don't know why I invited you or no, your role is really important. Here's my agenda. And this is where I want you to be participating in it. And uh, at Altimeter, we wrote it back to, because we were having marketing meetings and then sales meetings and then research meetings. And we wrote it back to one meeting a week, that one meeting to end all meetings. <laughs> so, wow. And we would start at the top with topics that were the most relevant to everybody. And then we would break out into smaller groups as the time needed to go and actually meet in breakout groups with the marketing team, to about the research team. And then at the end, we would come back again and, and, and do something very specifically, the brainstorming open-ended for the research team again, or anybody who wanted to join. But structuring meetings that way, and the other way I have seen very effective is that you have your check-ins with your teams starting from the bottom up of the organization. So the frontline managers meet on Mondays, and next level up on Tuesdays, next level up. And so by the end of the week, when you're having your executive team meeting, all the issues have been raised. 
and you can understand what the context is by Wednesday or Thursday so that you're having, you're actually working an agenda of issues that have surfaced up over the previous week. So there are ways for us to do this much more efficiently. If we could actually plan out what are the meeting purposes are, are and not just, I mean, the, the, the most deadly thing we could have is a regular weekly check-in. Like why? Can we take care of that with an email? Can we go on Slack and just continuously talk with each other? So why do we need a check-in? So there's, there's some interesting ways to think about just this, this default way of having meetings on our calendars that just sucks up all the time. Hey, what's up, agency owners? I want to tell you about one of my favorite white label partners, E2M. They can help with all your website design, web development, SEO, and content needs for your client projects. This includes WordPress, WooCommerce, Shopify, BigCommerce, Webflow, Duda, SiteGlide, custom PHP applications, and much more. Have peace of mind when it comes to your outsourcing needs. Let E2M become an extension of your team so you can grow and scale how you want. Check them out today at e2msolutions.com. That's E, the number two, M, solutions.com. All right, back to our show. And I want to get your perspective on, because I love the idea of the team meetings, and I love this one meeting to rule them all, right, where you just kind of start big and then kind of go into the the breakouts. I mean, I feel like with Zoom these days, having breakout rooms, I mean, that, that just sounds really cool to be able to do that at a team level. But a big challenge agencies have is, is in hurting cats with their clients, that sometimes getting them to commit to a meeting, it's like, hey, we can at least meet with the client and we can kind of go through the things. We can force them to do it because if we give the client homework, a lot of times it never comes back, right? The clients, I mean, they're I know if we looked at some of our calendars, we'd be freaked out. I think if we looked at some of our clients' calendars, it'd be like, whoa, hold on, right? How do you do anything, right? Or, or maybe maybe it's, it's something in between, right? But I feel like how can an agency establish a relationship with a client in a way to maybe have less meetings? So I think there's a lot of people that are on this listening right now thinking, gosh, like if I took away the, the weekly meetings with my clients – they would never give me the feedback or they never would get me the content or they never would get me, you know, the, 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 the information about their business. Right. I mean, if you have clear deadlines and then establish accountability, like if we want to get this, because usually the clients are driven by outcomes and deadlines, deadlines and outcomes. I mean, that's, that's all that is important to them. If you really want to hit this deadline and you want this outcome, then we need this information here and be back into that. So you've got to go do that. I'm working with an agency now and they sent me some stuff on Friday. It's Wednesday. I haven't looked at it and I'm fully <laughs> aware so of how this goes. I totally get it, right? But how do we actually set up? Like, when do you need this by? Like, mm. who is that accountability? Can we keep on track? And I know from the schedule that they're a little bit early delivering it for me and I need to get it to them by Friday. So I work, I, I've worked it into my plan, but it's also helpful to know it's going to land in my box on Friday. And then I can schedule the time to actually get it done and review it. It's when I don't know it's coming at me and it's not held on my calendar that I have that time. It just goes on and on, right? These are Mm. all the basic tools of creating really strong communication pathways, ways to collaborate, what are clear deadlines and deliverables by both parties, and when things are coming and, and how. I mean, we're just as guilty as people who have the clients. You know, we go through a sprint. We're like, okay, here we go. Here's a dump of stuff. Talk to you in a week, right? (laughs) Job is done. Versus here's the stuff. This is what to do with it. We need this information back. And and that's the work plan. And very everybody's clear. It's going to be delivered to your inbox at three o'clock. 
and it's going to show up at three o'clock. That again, I I keep talking about discipline, process, structure, governance. You need all of those things. The most disruptive companies, very counterintuitively, are really good at this. They're mm. really good at setting expectations, creating accountability, having transparency. So everybody knows what's going on. You kind of get the impression that, you know, or at least some people think, oh, to be disruptive, we have to be kind of creative, out-of-the-box thinkers. But, I mean, if you look at the big examples of companies that have, have had major disruption, they've had, I mean, the things that you just mentioned, right? Discipline, being very process-driven, very structured, almost like they, yeah. they almost seem like they're not disruptive, right? They're very, like, you know, focused and driven, but then the output of that engine is like, that. that's where the, the disruption comes from. Yeah, let me give you a little bit more, a deeper example. Uh, what they structure is the process of how to be crazy, how to mm-hmm. be audacious. So if you go out there like, hey, I have this crazy idea, but it's just coming back into a void. How do I, what do I do with this? Who would actually take this and run with it? Who do I need to get permission from? Who actually makes decisions around here? How do we make decisions? If you don't have that, the crazy idea goes nowhere. So really good disruptive organizations have these containers, they have the scaffolding for you to do all those crazy audacious things. Because now I can just focus 100% on that idea, on that innovation, on that disruptive transformation I want to create. And I have to spend zero time trying to figure out how are we going to get this done? Who's actually going to do it? Who's going to be here to catch that idea? And this is the problem with a lot of organizations that have Uh, sort of a field staff or a separate organization that's doing innovation. That innovation group is doing some fantastic work, but the executives in the core business just kind of trot over to this outpost. They're like, wow, this is so cool. They stand up and clap and it's great theater. It's innovation theater. They walk out and they go back to the real world and nothing has changed. It's because that structure inside of the core of the business is not designed to actually do anything real with that because it would require that so many things have to change. And that's what disruptive organizations do. They actually have created the structure so that when a new idea comes in, there's a way for it to grow rather than be rather than be shut down because it's a threat to the business. They understand these are the people we need to pull in, the resources, who's going to be impacted. That's already worked out. So the minute an opportunity comes up or a threat shows itself, everybody knows exactly what to do. They're all aligned already. They already have great working patterns, good working relationships. Hey, I, I saw you. I know you. I know how we work together. We've been through lots of failures together and successes too. We've drowned our sorrows together, you know, after work. <laughs> it's like we've been through a battle together. We trust and know each other. So that's what all of that process does. It creates a sense of we. We all know how to be with each other so that then we can do So this is a lot of the work I do with executive teams now. Are you clear about how you want to be individually? How do you want to show up as an individual, a leader, but also as a team? Because until you know how you want to be, who you want to be, you're clear about that, you won't be able to do. It just, again, if you try to do this without moving forward, you're wondering, you know, Joe over here and Mary over there, they're just looking out for themselves. They're not really looking out for the good of the team the good of business. I can see from the self-serving thing. I mean, you haven't tested that and you don't know. Well, you're coming into the room with one hand behind, tied behind your back and you're expecting to do things with these people you don't trust. Not going to happen. 
So this is communications 101, trust, relationships. I, I focus so much more on those. And I can talk about the latest technologies. Don't get me wrong. I think they're amazing. They're foundational, but they don't matter if you don't have like these basics pulled together about how we're going to be with each other. How will we show up and support each other? How will we work with each other before we actually do anything? Charlene, I think this is a fantastic message. And I think it's very counterintuitive to the topic of disruption in the future of getting back to kind of these core ideas of trust, relationships. Uh, as one of my mentors says, you know, who you be uh, in terms of how you show up. And I think this message has definitely, uh, hopefully been heard very well by our listeners today. Charlene, are you ready for our lightning round? Sure, go for it. What is the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've received was about my career to manage an 18-month sprints to not try to overthink things out into the future and to look out 18 months and say, if this is where you are, where do you want to be 18 months from now? What are the new skills? What are the new adventures you've actually experienced? And that has served me so well because it's kept me fresh. It's kept me full of awe and wonder and adventure to think about what's coming up next. That's cool. I love that. I love that idea. What is uh, one of your personal habits that has contributed most to your success? It's taking deep breaths and being centered. Um, I became aware of mindfulness about a decade ago. And it's not so much about practicing meditation all the time. It's really about being centered and being present. So calming down the monkey mind, being really focused on what's going on and being really understanding, how am I feeling right now? Am I feeling anxious about something? Did somebody just really piss me off and I'm not aware of it and it's impacting the conversation I'm having right now? So literally taking a breath and pausing and asking people around me to get centered before we begin a conversation has been game-changing because we're all running into me doing like, okay, blah, monkey mind. And then I'm going to focus on, I ask everyone to just stop. Let's take a breath, be together, be present for each other and begin our meeting with just a simple breath. So in between meetings, I take a breath, figure out, check in with myself where I am and I'm just so much more prepared and centered to be able to take on and, and, and really bring my best game to whatever the situation is. That's awesome. I love that. Can you share an internet resource, a tool or app that you use that you think our listeners would find valuable? Okay. It's going to be funny, but since the world is so global now, I use Time Buddy like there's no tomorrow. It just sits on the home deck of my phone and I'm sitting going, okay, I need to do a call between myself, somebody in London and someone in like Bangalore what's the overlapping time between that? It's just so easy to use. Um, I just have lots of problems when I'm special, when I'm traveling, what time zone am I in and what time zone is something else? So saves me from myself. Keeps me a lot more coordinated than I look at that I am when I manage these meetings and time zones. So, and it keeps me from calling people in the middle of the night too. So that's <laughs> <a good> <laughs> and uh, what book could you recommend besides one of your own amazing books and why? I'm reading Impact Players by Liz Wiseman right now. Just came out this week. Uh, she was the author of Multipliers, which was a fantastic book that I read. You know, I think it was like five, seven years ago, maybe even 10 years ago now. And it's full of stories about how people played big. And I've always wanted to play big and bigger and, and do more. So how did these people do it? What's the secret to their success of having more and more impact? The, the, I, I, this has been so much a part of my life because 
this is not about making money. This is not about getting more influence. This is about making a difference in the world. And I think if we can walk out of our careers and say, you know, I made a difference, that would be so rewarding. So I think I, I would encourage people to read Impact Players because this is a wonderful book. It gives lots of examples and advice on how to do that. Awesome. We, we will link out to Impact Players as well as Multipliers and Time Buddy on our show notes page, yougurus.com forward slash podcast. If you're listening to this week of, you're going to see Charlene's image right up there at the top. Click on her and you'll find all those key takeaways and insights. So if you're out on the road or if you're biking around town like myself, then just check it out, yougurus.com slash podcast. Charlene, how can folks find out more about you? Is there anything that you have they can check out? Yes, you can come to my website, charlenelee.com. Um, and also I do a lot of work on LinkedIn. I have a fantastic weekly newsletter that you can subscribe to. And I also have a bi-weekly newsletter that just gives a quick update and a few tips like Time Buddy and, and all these other cool referrals and resources available to you. And you can sign up for that on my website too. Cool. So we'll link out to, uh, you said it was charlenelee.com, just the name, your name.com. And then we'll also link out to your LinkedIn profile and uh, link directly to your newsletter as well. Sounds like you're publishing some great stuff. And any other social media profiles that we find, we will link people to on our show notes page, yougurus.com forward slash podcast. Charlene, thanks so much for stopping by the program today. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. And that is it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, if you want that free ebook on how to scale to multiple six and seven figures, all you got to do is DM me on Facebook the word gift at Brent Weaver, and I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver.